Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back inside the screening room, and welcome to it. Kind of a busy week with all the major releases and a bunch of smaller releases, and we will talk about them all as well as what's new on home video, as we always do. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and the Screening Room Podcast is brought to you by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. And that is just what I was sitting in when I was checking out our first <laughs> movie this week. And they're comfy. Uh, this one is based on a true story, a true story of survival. A young couple's chance encounter leads them first to love and then on the adventure of a lifetime as they face one of the most catastrophic hurricanes in recorded history. This is Adrift. How would you like to sail the Hosanna to California for us? What do you think? I think 4,000 miles is insane. I'm not going anywhere without you. Come sail with me. Hurricane Raymond has taken an unexpected turn and has been upgraded to a Category 5. We need to make sure everything's secure. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of you. We're thousands of miles from land. We're not in any flight paths. That's like a 1,500-square-mile search area. A needle in a blue haystack. Is anybody there? Baby! I sailed halfway around the world to find you. I'm not letting you go. This is when Shailene Woodley not only stars and, you know, really holds the film together, but she produces as well. She is... She is She's a remarkable talent. Yeah, we really got on her. She got on our radar. I think everybody's radar when she starred in The Descendants with George Clooney. And right away, like, oh, this girl's good. Oh, yeah. And she has continued to be good in almost everything that we've seen her in. But yeah, moving up to producer. Got a producer credit on this one. And uh, she stars as Tammy Oldham. This is based on her memoir, uh, Tammy Oldham Ashcraft. It's her name now. But she went through this incredible ordeal in 1983 she and her fiance ended up sailing into Hurricane Raymond in 1983. And if I guess if you look back in 83, just the weather patterns, it was a horrible year for weather and storms and hurricanes and really bad devastation. And this was a big, big storm. And they ended up right in the middle of it. And it's a movie that's directed by Baltazar Cormacher. Mm-hmm. And he directed uh, Everest. He directed Two Guns, directed Contraband. He's got a, he's got a way with action. He's got a way with some visuals as well. I thought Everest looked fantastic. It did, yeah. And he definitely gets a chance in this movie to show his flair with both of those things. The opening, I really enjoyed the opening. It's it's almost wordless, mm-hmm. but the opening is a pretty extended shot, and it really sets the stakes of the movie. It goes from confusion to to desperation, and, and just what is at stake here? They're out in the middle of the Pacific adrift. And then the the closing, I thought, was very effective. Again, very little dialogue, but nuanced, and you get some emotion and some humanity there. It's it's what's in between right. <laughs> that is, that is uh, a little bit troubling. It's it's very it's uneven. It certainly has its moments. The performances, not only Shailene Woodley, but also uh, Sam Claffin, mm-hmm. who we've seen in the Hunger Games, Hunger Games, and some other things. Uh, he was in that. Uh, what was the one where he was a paraplegic? With me before you. Yeah, you didn't care for that one. Did not. Did but not he's always it. pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And, and he's good in this as well. And what's really 
benefits the film is they have an instant believable chemistry. Nice. Which you have to have in this because it's you no, know, it's the couple. It's right. This is what right. happened to them. So they do. They're very at ease and they're believable as a couple. And in a movie like this, when you're adrift on the ocean and true life adventure, I mean it, it brings to a, a big screen adaptation some some inherent challenges. And some of the, the ways that Cormacore deals with that are pretty familiar, but they're understandably so. He he under, he uh, intersperses the uh, long stretches alone in the water with flashbacks to the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, how they met, how they got together and things like that. And you can understand that because it breaks up all this desperation with moments of fun and romance. And that's kind of a crowd-pleasing, act, you sure. know, crowd-pleasing way to go about it. Understand that. But then as it goes farther along in the story... I, the problems with me came in because it started to feel more like pandering more than even, you know, an extreme amount of crowd pleasing and maybe playing things just a little too safe, not wanting to forgive the cliche in this type of movie, rock the boat. And even maybe if he might've been a little too um, skittish on being disrespectful to the story, I don't know. It just seems like, boy, these are not only have, have we seen these types of tropes in this type of storytelling before, but, Boy, did you have to spoon feed it that right, much? Right, right, right. Uh, which I thought undercut, you know, the emotion of the story because it's an incredible, harrowing story. Right. And you know me, I'm a sucker for these things. I was just going to say that <laughs> these true life adventures. It, I didn't read her book, but I bet it was just amazing because it seems like you know before she met Richard Sharp was his name, her eventual fiance. She was living in a really kind of adrift life yeah. herself, and those sort of metaphors are pretty clear in the movie that she was kind of adrift although it seemed like a very interesting life she was just kind of going from exotic locale to exotic locale and just taking any kind of odd job to sustain herself to the next one you know very bohemian type of existence and then she got her quote-unquote anchor when she met you know richard so all that it's is hard to miss it's a nice story of a nice couple and then they get into this incredible situation uh, he's an Englishman and a very experienced sailor when they meet. And then uh, while they're in Tahiti, starting their relationship and kind of hanging out there for a while, uh, he meets a, a rich couple that he's acquainted with, and they give him a very lucrative offer to sail their 44-foot yacht back to San Diego, which just happens to be her hometown. And at first, she's not wild about going back home. I guess there was some issues there, but eventually she accepted, yeah, she wants to go. They're going to sail off, and that's what takes them into the teeth of this hurricane. And, you know, Cormacore, as I said, he does have a flair with some of these visuals. And I will say, once it really gets down to crunch time and they get into this hurricane, there are some breathtaking sequences. Really films it well. Very, very harrowing and and well presented, Um, especially the the major part of the storm where they really get stranded. But it's up and down, like I said, in between the opening and the closing. And it's it's still I guess I still would recommend it, you know, uh, but it's not going to really stay with you. And I think maybe that it could have if it would have made a few different narrative choices. But mm-hmm. it's still an incredible story and worth seeing, and great great performances, and certainly some some moments that stick with you, some satisfying moments. But on the whole, just for me, a little bit disappointing. And that's a drift. Next up, we get off the water into the near future, where technology controls nearly all aspects of life. But when Gray, a self-identified technophobe, has his world turned upside down, his only hope for revenge is an experimental computer chip implant called STEM. This is Upgrade. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. 
It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No, only you. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well-thought-out plan. I need your permission to operate independently. Permission granted! Thank you. First thing that grabbed me about this movie was writer-director Lee Wanell. Right. Who, if you don't know, is associated with horror. The Saw franchise and Insidious, so I thought, is this going to be a horror movie? But not really. More mm. sci-fi thriller. Yeah, so he has written probably 20 horror films that uh, certainly I've seen, uh, and he's directed a couple. So I was with you. And what's interesting about this, this is very definitely, it's like a dystopian future, but it's just a kind of a mid-range action revenge movie. Yeah, they never really uh, specify what the year is. No. So it's just the near future. Right. But but what's interesting to me is that the violence in this film, and, and this this kind of a movie, your your death wish kind of a movie, right? Right. They're violent. They're violent films. Yes. But but the the what happens to the body when the violence occurs in action movies, they don't show you that that much. But he's not from an action movie. Yeah, this is a little and, more grisly. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. <laughs> I think uh, people should maybe be prepared for that because, again, he's you know he's one of the two brains behind the Saw franchise. Yeah, so, he knows how to screw up right. the human body. Even though you wouldn't call this a horror movie, it no. definitely has some maybe some some Cronenberg body horror See, type. So exactly, this is exact. I mean, that's what I kept thinking the whole time I was watching it. So it's it's really you know it again. It's it's a very very traditional setup. It's you, you start off with your sort of very manly man doing man's work, and then <laughs> his beautiful loving wife comes home, and they're really opposites, but they're so happy. They and look how happy they life. are. Yes. Perfect life, smooches smooches. And you're, you said to yourself because I've seen Death Wish, and I've seen John Wick, and I've seen thirty other movies that start off the same way, usually starring Liam Neeson. You say to yourself, <laughs> the t- clock is running. Die. How long until this woman is dead? And then until he is so morose with depression and sadness that he can't go on. And then what is the hook that makes him decide he is going to kill a whole bunch of people? Right. But what's interesting is that Lee Wanell really, um, he comes up with a good way to get through that so that, that not only is he, is he touching on the things that you are familiar with, but he's livening them up in a lot of really good ways. So this guy who in this, you know, future where, you know, you just, you, your house talks to you and you tell it to order you some eggs and then your car talks to you and does all the driving for you. And, and this guy rebuilds Trans Ams, you know, listens to vinyl he's music. Yeah. yeah, he's a throwback. Um, but he, he succumbs to this opportunity to have a chip implanted that will help him regain what he's lost. Not his dead wife, but everything else. And then, of course, but, so that, that is where it takes a really funny turn because it becomes like Knight Rider because <laughs> this chip talks to him in his head. Right. And it's sort of very prim and proper, and it's, it's you know, making recommendations, and then funny things happen. And that's one of the things I like about it. It's got a very goofy sense of humor, but also um, in terms of sort of the... The flesh meets technology and violence. It's got a very David Cronenberg which flair to it, which I, I mean, yes, please. Mm-hmm. I love David Cronenberg. And so I think that between those two things, his flair for the violence and this really odd silliness that runs through it and some really great action sequences. And then also a really very solid performance, lead performance from Logan Marshall Green, who was the main character, the main actor in a a, a small indie a couple of years ago called The Invitation. Mm -hmm. He was also in Spider-Man Homecoming recently. All those things together, I mean, it really elevates this into something more 
enjoyable than it should have been. Feels like kind of a guilty pleasure. Exactly. Guilty pleasure summer movie. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, but here's here's the thing. You're not familiar with Logan Marshall Green. He looks a lot like Tom Hardy. And when you see him in movies, it's like I remember thinking that in in um Spider-Man. Spider-Man thinking mm-hmm. That's that guy that looks like Tom Hardy. Like, that's how you know him. Oh, I know that guy. It's the guy that looks like Tom Hardy. Uh, Now, I've not seen Venom. We've not seen Venom. But the trailer for Venom suggests to me that it's a good guy whose body (laughs) winds up sort of in uh, melding with something stronger than they are that talks to them in their heads. And together, they sort of fight crime. But there's an internal conflict. And I'm thinking to myself... Is this just like the poor man's venom that we're watching? I don't know, but I liked it anyway. Yeah, until then, it's your, maybe a summer guilty pleasure, as long as you know that the violence gets a little grisly, more than you usually see yeah. in a sci-fi movie, and that's Upgrade. The only other big national release this week was Action Point, Johnny Knoxville's latest. They didn't let us see that one no, early. No, that's not but a good sign. But if you like Johnny Knoxville stuff, you might like it. I actually thought his last one, that Bad Grandpa, oh, you love had that. some funny bits to it. And this- still, and still... Some of the best old man makeup I true. have seen no, in a movie. I will give you I'll that. I'll give it to Johnny Knoxville. So if you like him, you might want to check out Action Point. We didn't get to see it. But we did finally get to see a smaller movie we've been looking forward to. Story of a man suffering a near-fatal head injury. He's a young cowboy who undertakes a search for a new identity and what it means to be a man in the heartland of America. It's called The Rider. Where are you going with that? I'm going to the rodeo. You don't need to go ride today. I'm entered and I'm riding. Go kill yourself then. I believe God gives each of us a purpose. To the horse that's turning across the prairie. Go, man, go, man. For a cowboy, it's to ride. We've been looking, looking forward to this one ever since we saw the uh, Independent Spirit yes. Awards last year. This got so many mentions. It We're did. like, what is this? we got to check this out. Yes. Uh, Chloe Zhao is the director, and she's made one other film. And it also, uh, she has a very interesting style because it's very, very visually poetic and cinematic. And at the same time, it's borderline documentary. And and I don't Cinema think... Cinema verite type, but, yeah. But... But often verite, the look is as close to a documentary as sort of the feel is. This is this is really a gorgeous, very cinematic looking mm-hmm. film. I don't think any of the actors are actors. And for that reason, you know, the film sometimes feels a little bit maybe amateurish in the delivery. But at the same time, you you know, you know, these are real people people because nobody would cast these particular people which is um fascinating and the story she tells is such a traditional cowboy story you've seen it 30 times with clint eastwood or you know right uh you know the way it does here it's almost like it can take the place of just people trying to hold on to a lifestyle yes it is yes well and and again i think in a very american way the concepts of masculinity Mm -hmm. of being a man and the way that she does it is simultaneously so authentic and also so romantic and i think it's it's interesting because i don't think there is a genre of film including romance movies that are more romantic than the western or the cowboy tale sure and and it's funny because you when you watch this unfold and you believe every second of it is authentic, you realize where that comes from. Yeah, yeah, a long line of these movies, and then she takes these very this very familiar genre and does make it not only intimate with these characters, but more universal to just a people and their way of life. It also 
it doesn't gloss, well, it doesn't gloss over anything. But one of the things that I think you really notice is just the abject poverty. You know, uh, you know, in a cowboy movie, uh, when he's he's got to decide, is he going to continue to rope and ride or is he right. got to give it up because Doc says so, you know? <laughs> well, rarely do you get such a very clear picture of what his life is going to be like if he does give it up. Like right. the the true struggle that this human being is facing. You know, and it's not necessarily a crowd pleaser. I think that the strange style, the slow moving nature, and then the way that it doesn't serve you up this very happy, crowd pleasing ending the way a Western or a cowboy tale would. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think everybody's going to love it, but it's a it's a remarkable film. Yeah, and also and definitely puts uh, another filmmaker to watch. Yes. Puts her in that category for sure. That's the rider. Next one in limited release, another filmmaker that uh, is always on our radar, John Cameron Mitchell. It's his latest about an alien touring the galaxy, breaking away from her group and meeting two young inhabitants of the most dangerous place in the universe, the London suburb of Croydon. It's how to talk to girls at parties. It's going to be all right. Just corner the one that looks the loneliest and speak in short sentences. Hello, my name is Anne. It's short for Henry. I'm Zan. Now that is punk. Do more punk to me. Hey, I can come with you to the punk. Have 48 hours. I never thought I'd... We may have cocked this planet up royally, but at least we're alive. We like to eat, we like to dance. We like to fall in love. And we try and fix what our parents screwed up. Are you locked with me? I'll tell you what, you mentioned the, the true life adventure being right up my alley. Well, this is right <laughs> up your alley. At least the, the punk music type that is involved in this movie. Although you were really disappointed because it could use more punk music. Yeah, the, not just punk music, just he, it could use more punk. Yeah. So what what is uh, the fun concept is that these three mates uh, in 1977 Croydon in the you know height of Britain's punk rock period they stumble into what they think is a punk show after party and it is in fact this big alien house party and this is where they meet and there are a lot of aliens in this house party <laughs> you know and this is where they meet these fascinating Americans quote unquote uh, and and where the lead character played by Alex Sharp falls for Zan who is played by Elle Fanning to his credit I cannot imagine any human boy not falling for Elle Fanning <laughs> She's remarkable in everything. She's she really always, is. She's and always she's, so good. She's great in this movie. Yep. So she plays uh, an alien who decides that she is not going to conform as her people are requiring that she do. She's going to break away. She's going to be an individual. She's going to rebel and hang out on Earth with these three punks because that's what punk is. The problem is... Nothing about this movie is punk at all. <laughs> Certainly not punk enough to be set in uh, Croydon right. in 1977. First of all, everybody's way too attractive. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's only like 13 people at a punk show and nobody's gobbing on anybody. And, you know, I mean, honestly, all of the the characters, the Earthling boys, they're just wholesome kids from wholesome households. Everything is so painfully earnest in this movie that I just kept thinking to myself, this is like John Hughes pretending to do punk, which was really disappointing because it's not John Hughes, it's John Cameron Mitchell. Right, and if you don't know John Cameron Mitchell, he did Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So right there alone, yeah. that says he is perfect for this film. Right, and then he, he did Rabbit Hole that we love oh my so God. much. And he did, well, he did Short Bus. I don't know if you've seen that. And 
Oh boy. Yeah. It's uh, a great movie, but it's but not it's for everybody. No. You should you should just be prepared. Parental guidance suggested. <laughs> Very suggested. No matter how old but you are. Rabbit hole, my lord. Yeah. So uh, good and so different <gasps> from Hedwig. So different. And and but also it's where he met Nicole Kidman. Right. And who's in this movie as well. She's yes. kinda like the grand dom exactly. of, of punk. Exactly. So where, whereas everybody else on the scene is like 17 years old, and she's <laughs> been on the scene long enough right. to know Johnny Rotten, who in 1977 would have still only been popular for three months, but which is she, if, a joke that she makes. Yeah, and if she had really been on the scene that long, she would not have looked anything like Nicole Kidman. No, but she <laughs> she has a great time with this role. She does. She absolutely does. And she steals every scene she's in. And Elle Fanning, again, does a great, job of that fish out of water mm -hmm. character yep. she's very believable and very endearing yep. the film is just so safe it's so safe and it's so upbeat and it's so not punk it's a poser that's what this movie is and that was really disappointing one more in limited release this week to talk about it's a french movie the latest from Claire Denis starring Juliette Binoche so good names there it's Isabelle a Parisian artist divorced mother is looking for love, true love at last, in Let the Sunshine In. J'essaie de trouver un beau soleil intérieur. C'est tout ce que je vous demande, comprenez? Yeah, Julia Binoche, yes, and Claire Denis. Yes. Yes. And you're... putting these two together, it's just funny that the movie really doesn't go in a lot of places that you're really anywhere and you're expecting it to. That's a funny thing about Claire Denis. If you're not familiar with her, she's a French filmmaker. She's she's made a lot of great movies. Our favorite is Trouble Every Day, which may not be yours uh, <laughs> because it is a it's a it's a for acquired taste. Yeah. <laughs> Cannibals. In fact, um, it's a horror film, but she's not known for horror. What she is known for is stringing together moments that's really what a lot of her films are. Not always, not exclusively, but certainly Trouble Every Day and certainly this film, where for a long time you're what you're asking yourself, what is the plot? Is there a plot? And what she's really just doing is exploring kind of middle-aged dating, to be honest with you, the ups and downs, and only the ups and downs. Like, not the in-betweens, not the lulls where there is no one, just the beginning and the end, the beginning and the end. And and uh, Julia Binoche... Her character, Isabel, rotates through these relationships uh, and they create this really dizzying experience of, of just watching it happen. And so eventually you realize, I'm not trying to find a story here. I'm trying to experience what the film is offering me to experience. And, and it's exasperating. And Isabel is frustrated and she's frustrating. Uh, but it, and it's comical in a lot of ways. But it's also, I think, uh, something that you don't see often, which is a 50-year-old woman dating in a way that, and I know that it drives you crazy, in other films, they're not making a joke of it. It's, it's this is just our character, and this is the life that she's leading right, right. now, and this, let's don't look at these moments. Don't laugh at them. If you're going to laugh, we're laughing with them. Don't right. laugh at them because they're, ooh, over the hill and interested in sex and love. Yeah, and but the other thing that is great, that that is a Claire Denis hallmark, is that she hovers with you in that weird moment of promise, right? You know, with the sort of body language and shying away and moving forward and not knowing, is this the moment that's going to lead to sex? It's going to lead to rejection. That's going to lead to happiness. That one moment, very few filmmakers can capture that exciting, awkward, horrible moment as well as she does. And it is everywhere in this film. <laughs> that has let the sunshine in a French film out this week in limited release, which means it's time to go to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Have ourselves a snack. <laughs> when we go to the lobby and have a snack, we check out what's new on home video. Really just one big one, and it's a good one, one we both liked. It's Annihilation. And I don't know if it was a hit at all. Was it a hit? Did people see it? I know there was a lot of polarization, I think, in the reaction to it. It's the latest from Alex Garland. Uh, he wrote you know, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, and then he wrote and directed Ex Machina, which we love so much. And he wrote and directed this one. It's an adaptation of a, a trilogy. It's one part in a, in a book trilogy that he's, he's adapting. And it's sci-fi. It's a little complicated, but it, it's, it has to do with this type of organism, the Shimmer, taking over a section of land and growing. And so the military has to figure out what's going on because it's becoming more and more of a threat. Natalie Portman is part of a team that heads into it, trying to get some answers, and also she's trying to find a way to save her husband, who has come back from the Shimmer, uh, alive, the only person to do so, and then instantly taking on a, a life-threatening illness. So there's a lot going on. I liked it. I thought it was incredibly fascinating from frame one. And, and by the end, I thought it was sort of a weird earthbound cousin to 2001. I agree with you. And I, I think the theme of the movie really is our self-destructive nature, oh, which yes. I think that they that they mine really well. And and you said earlier, a filmmaker to watch, I, Alex Garland is quickly becoming like in top top five yeah. for me. I mean, there I will be excited for everything he does because he's not done anything that isn't magnificent. Yeah, real, so yeah. that's you know, fascinating. I yeah, just, exactly. A, I, I kept coming back to that to that word for this movie. It's just, I was just, just staring like, oh, everything, I'm so interested in this yeah. and where it's going. And it's, I mean, the way that it turns, uh, you know, sort of sci-fi ideas inside out and around, he comes up with really, very, they're well thought out, they work well in this universe. I'm sure that mu much of it came from the source material, but the way that he brings it to the screen is fascinating. And yeah. there's, it's funny, there's one scene with a bear <laughs> that I have, I have heard so many people tell me was the scariest scene that they have seen in a film this year. It was freaky. Uh, it really was. But it I wouldn't sticks call with this you. is not a horror no, movie. No, but it's but a it was scary, a scary scene. scene. Yeah, so we both liked Annihilation out on home video this week. Looking forward to next week, there's some biggies. One that we have been so looking forward to and getting so much buzz, especially with horror fans like ourselves. It's called Hereditary. Woo! We got to actually see it last night. We can't wait to talk about it. Also, Ocean's 8 coming out next week. Hotel Artemis, that looks interesting it as does. well. Jodie Foster, mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum, a bunch of people in a, in a secret hotel, secret hospital for criminals. So we'll see about that one, plus some other smaller movies coming out next week as well. But until then, uh, let us know what you thought about this week's batch. Always easy to find us on social media. On Twitter is the easiest way. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. On Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews, plus our other podcast for horror fans called Fright Club. That's all at madwolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.